Good morning and welcome to another episode of Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Motherhood is a blessing, but it can also be difficult because there's a lot of sacrifices that are to be made. Many women struggle with feeling a sense of losing who they were before motherhood. Today's guest went through that and has some great advice, not just for moms, but dads as well. That's coming up on Connections. Amelia Rana is a psychotherapist, blogger, and mom. Uh, Amelia, you have literally been everywhere. Tell us about how you came to be where you are today and doing what you do. Um, well, I was born and raised in the States, and I came to Canada for university. I went to McGill, and while I was there, I was involved in um, a campus ministry. And while I was on a missions trip in North Africa, I met my husband, who was going to UBC, but who was involved in the same campus ministry, um, and he's from India. So we met in Africa, and then we came back to Canada and dated and got married. Um, And one of the things that was really important to me when we were dating was that I felt really passionate about adoption. And um, so I had asked my husband before we got married if that was something he was interested in, and um, he definitely saw the gospel portrayed through adoption and was on board with that. Um, After we got married, we moved to Ontario for work, and... Once we moved to Ontario, we really felt like our we felt like our world was kind of getting pretty small, and we were just spending time with Christians. Um, but we both really feel passionate and called to evangelism. Um, so we, through some friends, we found out about a ministry called Move In, and um, Move In is basically a group, a grassroots group of Christians who move into low income neighborhoods in high density urban areas that have immigrants and refugees from especially unreached people groups. So we live um, in the inner city of Hamilton among um, a more lower-income neighborhood with lots of immigrants and refugees from Somalia, Afghanistan, um, Pakistan, India, Iraq, lots of other places. And we meet with our team once a week to pray for our neighbors, and we spend our free and social time, just interacting with neighbors, getting to know them, spending time with them. Um, And then my job is I work part-time as a psychotherapist with children who have experienced trauma, so lots of kids um, who are in the foster care system or have been adopted. And I also just work generally with um, adults who have depression, anxiety, grief. Is there anywhere else on the globe in your story? Uh, That's (laughs) the highlights. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so we did adopt our daughter from India, um, our oldest daughter. We adopted three years ago from India. And then while we were in India, we got pregnant with our second daughter. So we had two kids in one year. Were you, wow, two kids in one year. Were you Were you trying to have a child of your own or was it kind of a surprise? No, it was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a little overwhelming because while we were in India, we had a lot of issues with our adoption, and it took us... We were in India for five months, actually. Um, we were kind of stuck there. And so coming home from India, totally culture shocked, and with a toddler who was experiencing a lot of culture shock as well, mm, yeah. um, and then dealing with morning sickness, and how am I going to parent two children at once? <laughs> how did you get through that stage? <laughs> um, a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, time spent humbled before God. Um I have an extremely supportive husband and family, um, and our church community is just incredible. While we were in India, um, well, 
to go back a bit, before we went to India to adopt our daughter, our apartment got slowly flooded and we had to move out. So when we left for India, everything we had was in storage. Um, so we were in India for five months and then we got the okay to come home and we didn't have a home to come home to. Um, wow. So our church rented us out an apartment, moved us in, unpacked every drawer, un- hung up our pictures, framed new pictures of us and our daughter, um, cooked us meals. That's that amazing. That, we couldn't have done it without that. Amelia, what was going through your mind at the time? That's a great question. Um, I think we felt we felt that we were really equipped for parenthood. <laughs> um, <laughs> Been there. <laughs> <laughs> we we were married for seven years before we became parents, and we had been trying to adopt for four years. We had read all the books, gone to all the conferences. Um, like I said, I'm a trained counselor. Um, we knew people, everyone we knew had kids, and lots of people we knew had adopted children. Um, so we sort of felt like, okay, it's going to be hard, but like, we can do that. We know what hard looks like. Um, and with our intentional ministry that we're a part of, we thought, oh, having kids will, will make it, you know, easier to interact with neighbors. And everybody was always curious, why don't you have kids? It's strange to not have children, um, especially for a lot of our immigrant and refugee families. Um, so we thought it would, you know, be a boost to our ministry and, and just help us to interact with people and make us more normal. <laughs> um, and, uh, ew, wow, it was really, is, it is, continues to be very, very hard. Um, I think the initial few months, especially with our eldest daughter, um, when a child comes into the home through adoption, they can have all different responses. And um, for our daughter, it was just plain grief. She was just very, very, very sad and very oh, really? sick. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a lot of um, you know outward aggressive or antisocial behaviors. It was just sadness. Um, and so we would spend hours and hours of the day just rocking her and crying with her, and um, that continued for probably three months. So that was, I think, that was really shocking for us because, um, you know. Generally speaking, when you bring a child home from the hospital, if everything goes well, you spend a lot of time snuggling them and looking in their eyes and they're sleepless nights, but they're cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's not until, you know, one or two years that they start to be behaviors. And But you've put all of this love and investment in, in sort of the relationship bank. And with our daughter, it was right from the get-go, she had these huge emotional needs. Um, and we didn't have the relational basis to meet those needs. Um, and so... That's where we really, really found we had to lean into our faith and and think about the way that God loved us and um, ask Him for for this overflow of love for this child who needed huge amounts of love. Um, so that was pretty challenging. I'm not really sure how else to word it, but during those difficult times, was there ever a time where you felt maybe you made a mistake? I think I think when we brought her from the orphanage like that first day or so, I felt like, well, maybe we should have just left her. She was happy and she was cared for. And like, who are we to say that it's better for her to live with the family? Um, I know that that's not true. Um, we spoke with the orphanage. We know that girls who age out of orphanages by 10 are sent to trade schools and by 12 are on their own. Um, and so, you know, I know that a girl, child with no family who's on her own at 12 in India is, is not better off. Um, but there were there were moments where I felt like, man, we took her from everyone she knew and loved, and it was just so mm. sad to see. How is she doing now? Um, she's doing great now. 
Um, she speaks English perfectly. Nobody can believe that she only spoke Hindi. <laughs> um, she is extremely affectionate. She loves her little sister, very protective, very um, assertive and directive. Uh, she definitely still struggles with some things, and I think like a lot of kids who come from hard places, emotional regulation is hard, so every emotion feels pretty big. So we do a lot of work in our house to teach emotional regulation and to have routine um, and to provide sort of that under underlying sense of love and stability. Um, so I would say all things considered, she's doing well, but there's definitely some really hard days. Uh, one of the things that you had said is you found that you changed. You aren't who you were before motherhood. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. was that like to experience that? I would say it was shocking. <laughs> Um, because like I said, we were married for seven years before we had kids and most of our friends had kids. And so, you know, we were the ones who always had the extra energy to babysit, who would be bringing meals, who would be helping people move. And in our, in our community, um, we would take our neighbors to the hospital in the middle of the night and help them find, um, pro bono lawyers. And, you know, we would break Ramadan fast with their Muslim neighbors and, um, I just envisioned that I would just bring the kids along to all of those things. And I had my husband and I both, you know, have a huge heart for the poor and for the unreached. And we just spent so much of our our time before children investing in those things and and praying about unreached people groups. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) once a child comes into your home, it's just, it's 24-7. And... We didn't have the practical flexibility to do a lot of those things. Um, one thing that I found really hard, especially in the first year or two, was that my daughter found it really, really hard and my attention was divided. So, you know, I was talking about that those relational and security needs that she had. If I had a neighbor over for tea, she couldn't, she just couldn't manage to see me talking to someone else. It was too hard for really? her. Really? And so I found that I, if I wanted to visit a neighbor, it had to be after she went to sleep or, you know, when she was having a play date or something. And all of a sudden it was like, whoa, my time is, is not my own anymore. Even even to serve, it's not my own. Um, and, you know, even even small things, like the things that we talk about after the kids go to bed, all of a sudden it went from, you know, these global ideals and, you know, how could we save more, or give more, or, you know, what missionary could we talk about? Or, you know, those things, not that that's all we talked about, but those were the things that I felt defined me. Um, and then the kids go to bed and it's like, how are we going to survive tomorrow? <laughs> and those life changes can be extremely difficult being a mom. I know that's something I'm dealing with. How did you deal with this, Amelia? Well, I would say I'm still trying to. <laughs> um, I think it really hit me when my younger daughter turned one because I was finally coming out of the fog. She was kind of sleeping through the night. It felt like we had a routine. And it sort of was that moment where you look around and you're like, oh, right, I'm also a person. <laughs> um, and I started to look through my blog. I realized I hadn't blogged for a year. I started to look through things that I had written previously. And I was like, oh, I miss that girl. I, I miss the person who wrote these things. Um, and it really kind of hit me in the gut. Of I, I feel like I've changed. I almost feel like I've sold out in some ways. Um, I've just kind of joined the normal workaday middle class life. And uh, I was really reminded, actually, as I was writing that Risen Motherhood article, I was I was reminded of the greater purpose of creation and that God did not just create me um, 
to serve him, and he did not just create me to be productive. Um, that there are seasons of our lives where maybe our contributions to the kingdom look really different, and our identity doesn't come from those things. So I think looking at Scripture and taking in the whole breadth of the arc of Scripture kind of gave me that perspective shift. Because, you know, when I think about the average Israelite mother in King David's time, she probably wasn't doing anything global or anything fancy. She was probably raising her children and teaching them about God and teaching them Scripture and feeding them and cleaning the house. And uh, so if what I, if my standard for myself isn't able to be applied to any Christian in any time, then it's probably a flawed standard. <laughs> um, so I think just understanding that God, my identity is in God, and my identity is based on being God's child, not what I contribute. Is this around the time that you decided then to write the blog and to give that advice to other parents out there? Yeah, yeah. I think as I was kind of coming out of that fog, um, I was given the opportunity to write for Rhythm of the Head, and I realized, yeah, this is what I need to hear. So I bet there's probably some other moms who need to hear this, too. So I was first and foremost preaching to myself in that article. Amelia, what is some advice you have for either mothers or fathers that are dealing with these same emotions? I think the first thing to know would be that you're not alone, that no matter how you enter parenthood, it's a huge shock and it's a huge adjustment of expectations and um, relationships. And I think God does uniquely gift us and does uniquely gift our families. And we have found ways um, that he has uniquely gifted us now as a family of four to serve him. And we are able to find ways to teach our children about the things that we're passionate about. I think the key thing to remember is it's not going to look the same. You can't just drag your children along to whatever you were doing before, <laughs> as I had envisioned. Um, but we can actually begin to disciple them and say, hey, these are things that I really care about. It looks different in this season, but I want to teach you about it. Um, you know, So for our family, that looks like we have um, a list of unreached people groups next to our dining table, and we pray through them after supper, um, and we show our children on the map. Um, it also means... You know, we have a big Easter party and a big Christmas party, and our daughter gets to invite her friends from her local school, and we have the opportunity to share gospel with friends in a family context. So I think looking for ways that your family can can continue to live out those passions, but knowing that it's going to look really different. Was that kind of freeing for you, actually, when you finally realized, oh, I can still do things, it's just going to be different than it was before? Yeah, I think it I think it made a huge difference. I live a lot in the world of my own expectations, and I think <laughs> I think once I was able to to drop those old expectations, it was like, oh, okay, well then, what could we do now? Uh, since I've become a father, I found myself as a pastor. I have much more understanding for why people aren't as involved in church life as you'd like them to be if they've got young kids. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we felt, too, is, oh, all these families just stay home from stuff, and they don't join stuff, and we're going to be totally different. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, now it's it's uh, hoping that other people give us grace, because we're the ones staying home from things. <laughs> <laughs> How can uh, people find out more information about you? Like, where do you write and stuff like that? I write very, very sometimes <laughs> um, at eslmarriage.com. Um, I named it that a long time ago because, like I said, my husband's from India, and when we first got married, we had lots and lots of funny misunderstandings based on uh, him being ESL and me not knowing much about Indian culture. 
Millie, is there anything else that you want moms out there to know this morning? I would just say be encouraged. It's, it's a hard season, and God is walking with you through it. Thanks for that, Amelia. We really appreciated your conversation this morning. We'll talk to you again on Connections.